On this episode, I'm in the room with evangelist Matt Brown talking about social media and spiritual awakenings. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 17. I'm Ryan Hughley, and I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. You can find me at ryanhughley.com and on Twitter and Instagram at, at @ryanhughley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I have a simple goal to bring you in the room for what I hope are interesting and helpful conversations with a diverse group of guests, including pastors, professors, authors, and artists. Today, I'm in the room with evangelist Matt Brown. He's the founder of Think Eternity and impacting more than 400,000 people on social media each day. He's just released a new book called Awakening, How God's Next Great Move Inspires and Influences Our Lives Today. In our conversation, we discuss whether or not big evangelistic events are effective, why social media is a worthwhile investment for those who desire to make an impact for Christ and some of the spiritual awakenings happening around the globe. So get settled and come on in the room for my conversation with Matt Brown. All right, Matt, thanks so much for being on In the Room. I really appreciate it. Lots of stuff that I want to talk to you about, including your new book, Awakening. Uh, But first, if we could just start with a little bit of background about who you are for people that don't know you. So I know that you and your wife and new baby live in uh, Minneapolis right now. Is that correct? Is that where you're from? Yep, that's where we're from, Ryan. And uh, so grateful and excited to be joining you on the podcast today. Uh, been just super pumped about everything that's been happening with uh, your podcast and all the amazing leaders who've been on. And I'm so honored to be here with you today. Shouting out to you from Minneapolis where we're freezing right now. Yeah. Uh, it's not and, much better in Chicago. I don't think anyways. Yeah. Not much better. Uh, when we were there recently, I got off the plane. It did feel like 30 degrees warmer, but the yeah, next I'm day sure. was pretty much as cold as Minneapolis. Uh, so we've been sitting here watching the morning news of all the, uh, supposed places that are freezing like Dallas around the country. And we're just, you know, babies. we're just, we're just thinking babies. that we should be making the news every single day That's with right. our weather. That's <laughs> so. right, man. So, uh, tell me a little bit about your, <clears throat> your, you come from a long line of pastors, ministers, preachers, both you and your wife do, right? So tell me a little bit about, did you come to faith at a young age? Was it later in life? Tell me about your family. Yeah. In some ways, uh, we have a lineage of pastors. Um, my parents aren't pastors. Uh, they're basically just godly servants of the church. Uh, My dad has been an elder most of my life. My mom's been a prayer warrior and really a, just a personal evangelist. When she goes to gas stations, she leads people to Christ. And, uh, she's been doing that my whole life and she's just as on fire now as she's ever been. And so they've been a great example of just a passion for God's word as well in their lives. Uh, but you know, so grew up that way not directly with a pastor lineage in my family, but my wife's uh, dad was actually a businessman for most of his life. And for the last like 11 years or so was a lead pastor of a church that his dad started. Okay. Uh, His dad became the first pastor group of families uh, in Minneapolis meeting in the basement of a home. And he pastored that for uh, over 40 years Uh, together. He and uh, my father-in-law led the church for a half of a century. Wow. And so in, in that way. I have an incredible lineage. Uh, From uh, my wife's side, we found out also just through their ancestry that uh, one of our, you know, one of her great relatives was ordained by John Wesley in the ministry. Um, And from my side, I do have some like a great, great, great uncle who was a missionary in China and his son as well. So I definitely have some just not directly from my parents or grandparents, although they, they set a great example for me. And uh, with that, with that family upbringing, um, I did give my life to Christ at a very early age and, uh, you know, rededicated myself to the Lord as a young teenager, uh, really making it my own uh, throughout my life. Uh, it's something that all of us have to decide whether we're raised in church or not. And sure. I like what uh, Gloria Furman, uh, her and her husband are pastors in Dubai, what they say about it. Uh, she says in, in one of her book, uh, Glimpses of Grace, yeah. that none of us have a boring testimony. That's right. And anyone who's been like saved from the clutches of Satan and hell by the son of God giving his life on a cross for them doesn't have a boring testimony. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> she says it better than I do, but I just yeah. love that. It was just so, uh, so game changing. No, it's true. Cause if you grew up, I grew up in the church and, uh, the only testimonies that ever got, you know, showed or got, uh, talked about in, especially in student ministry, but I even just remember in regular church was like, it's always the crackheads. It's always like I was a crackhead or I was in jail or these really, obviously dramatic stories. And for a long time, I I felt like I didn't have a very good testimony 
because I didn't have that, you know, like I, I never even, I, I didn't even drink or, or anything that makes for a good testimony. So I think that's great. I'm thankful for the way that, that Gloria says that and, and you bringing it up. Cause it's been a huge encouragement to me personally, but your, so how did you, did you go in, did you go to Bible college? How did you get up into the ministries that you are, are you're participating in now? Yeah, from an early age, um, I sensed the call to ministry. I think I was like about eight years old at okay. a camp one yeah. year, yeah. and uh, but I didn't really know what that you know particularly would look like. Uh, and for much of my life, I actually kind of wondered why God was waiting so long to really specifically call me into something, or for why it took me so long to have a specific sense of something of what exactly I was supposed to do. And it wasn't until I was seventeen that I attended a youth conference that was at the church that. I told you about earlier that yeah, my yeah. wife's uh, grandpa and my father-in-law pastored for a half century. Uh, my first time visiting there that I remember and, uh, you know, was just powerfully touched by God in those services uh, that were happening and sensed a very specific call to evangelism. Okay. Uh, just felt like God whispered in my ear, you're, you're called to be an evangelist. And it was interesting to me at that time because I grew up as such a church kid, Yeah, but God was calling me to reach people outside the church with the gospel. Yeah. And, um, man, I was broken. I was, I was crying for my friends in high school that didn't know Christ and just felt such a very, you know, distinct calling and, and just had many confirmations of that following that, uh, that moment or that weekend. Yeah. But as I look back on it, I think how amazing is God's sovereignty to wait until that moment to call me when I'd be in the church where, where we now is our home church, where we yeah. base our ministry. I've been there about 13 years now as my home church. Yeah. And my wife's been there uh, her entire life. And actually her, her dad has been, it's been his home church his entire life. So just kind of an amazing uh, place to be rooted from. Yeah. And, I know. Uh, so I know a lot of people who, um, <clears throat> who feel a burden. I mean, all Christians should, but feel a specific burden to the work of evangelism. You don't meet a ton of people who would say I'm an evangelist. <clears throat> and so there's a, I mean, you're, you're an evangelist, I think anyways, in the same vein as like Billy Graham, Greg Laurie, Luis Palau. Um, and so have those been some of your primary ministry influences or, or who outside of just the direct call of God, who, who are some of the people that have inspired you to pursue this specific expression of ministry? Yeah, definitely. I mean, those weren't, uh, you know, I would say I didn't feel a specific call knowing about those guys at that time or because of those guys. But since I felt that call, those have been some of my, you know, my heroes, my, the people I look to, uh, so many people look to celebrities or yeah. to famous rock star singers. And for me, it's been the people who've been preaching the gospel. They just, you know, they just get me excited. Those are the guys I want to take selfies with. And yeah. uh, if I ever do take one someday. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, actually I've been just totally blessed over the last handful of years. Uh, in 2009, I ended up working for a year for the Billy Graham Association um, in the kind of the middle of our traveling and preaching ministry. And I learned so much from those guys. It was a project with Franklin Graham and, uh, was reaching the youth of the nation, uh, in four cities up the Mississippi river. There ended up being 112,000 young people across the nation that gathered in those four cities mm -hmm. that summer, uh, including 23,000, uh, gathered in Harriet Island park in St. Paul in August, 2009, and so I got to be a part of that process and see how they do things, see how they unite the church and, and work in work for the church. And I was just so encouraged and inspired. I mean, there's not many people who have anything bad to say about the Graham family and right, right. amazing ways God's used them. And, and that's encouraging because as leaders, as ministers, we are all human and imperfect and, um, and we have flaws. And as James, uh, the book of James in the Bible says, we all stumble in many ways. Yeah. And so, um, it's just it's so been so encouraging to see the integrity of their ministry of that yeah. family. And then just in, in recent years also to do some work with, uh, with Greg Laurie and with Harvest America. And I uh, also had the chance to spend a day with a handful of uh, ministers learning from Luis Palau. So, so I have been able to learn from some of those guys. Yeah. I really look up to them and it is a more rare calling. Yeah, it is. And one of the things I appreciate about you though, is that you have a, you have 
a high commitment to the local church as well. You participate in one, you know, your father, because of your connection to your father-in-law, you see the value in it. But I know that some people would say that these larger events don't always do evangelistic events. Don't always do the greatest job of connecting new converts to the local church. So what do you say to people who kind of push back on the sort of big crusade or event style of evangelism? Why do you think, I know you believe in them. And so why do you think they're important and what do you think their potential is? Yeah, definitely. Right. I mean, you know, I, I love this stuff. And so I'm excited to answer this question. Yeah. I talk a little bit in my book awakening about this. Um, just there's so much negative statistics and stories about the church these days. Yep. And some of the biggest proponents of those negative stories are us. We preachers ourselves. Yeah. And, uh, we get, we have to be careful with some of those things we share. And I don't know if you've heard recently, uh, some of the kickback about, uh, statistics that's been thrown around the church for probably 10 or 20 years that there's just as much divorce yeah. among Christians as there is among non-Christians Well, as they've narrowed that down and, studied that they've actually found, no, that's not even true. Yeah. Uh, when you, and Barna, I think was maybe the first person to discover this, that when you talk about Bible believing, practicing church going Christians, the number or statistic of divorce is way lower. Right. And, but, but basically people have been sharing these statistics in churches and a lot of leaders. And I heard it growing up too. And I I just remember being depressed. Like, why would you ever share that statistic in church? But, but, we kind of like to beat up on ourselves and yeah. we almost get praised for being harsh. So do you, so do, are you say, so do you think that there's that these, the things that people would push back on and say, these events don't do a good job of connecting to the local church. Would you say that that's in fact not true? I believe, I believe that in many cases it is not true. Okay. Um, I saw a statistic even recently in a book and I've seen a lot of statistics about this. Um, you know, even there's one evangelist who, who shared in his book about all the crusades and how they do such a poor job of, connecting people and he, and he shared all these statistics on the flip side. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet Sterling Houston, um, one-on-one who's, who was Billy Graham's crusade director in the heyday. This is when they went down to San Diego, California yeah. in the nineties. And they had 30,000 people trained as counselors Jeez. in their evangelism training classes. And they've had millions of people who've gone through their evangelism training classes. That's yeah. what people say is one of the most powerful things about them coming in and doing outreach. So I'm not saying that every evangelist does this right. Because there are some who do this wrong, and not every church or pastor does this right when they right. have an altar call or a response time or give the gospel message. But I will say that that God is uh, the Holy Spirit is in the process of also following up with people yeah. in the midst of our feeble efforts. Yeah, and I believe that it happens better than we think. Yeah, uh, and and so Sterling Houston actually has this old book that almost no one would read called Crusade Evangelism in the Local Church. Okay. And uh, he's actually since gone to be with the Lord. But in this book, he shares people who did doctoral dissertations on the follow-up from outreaches 20 to 30 years later. And it was 80 to 90% compared with statistics people throw around of 2% or whatever. Right. right. And the reality is that, you know, those those statistics are often mishandled. And uh, so I believe that uh, what I saw from the follow-up was unbelievable. I was a part of it. And we always try to do a good job when we're doing outreaches. And what I've seen from Greg Laurie and from Harvest America has been unbelievable. And so I've seen some great examples of it. Yeah, sure. That's not to say that people don't do it wrong. Yeah. I think that we, we, we definitely need to highlight discipleship and we need to focus on it. It needs to be a part of the message. But uh, ultimately, God is doing a work. He's doing yeah. a great work. And we don't need to be you know, uh, discouraging people or mishandling that. All that to say that the church started really from thousands of people coming to Christ in a sure. single day. Why do you and I think that can still happen today? Why do you think that, <clears throat> that these, uh, that these crusades have, I mean, God seems to move in such a, a unique and powerful way through some of these. I mean, I've, I've not been to a crusade. I don't have the background that you do in that. Um, but you know, I've, I've, I follow Greg Laurie on Instagram and I've seen the pictures that he posts of these things that he does at angel stadium. It's just amazing. Yep. of thousands of people coming forward and giving their lives to Christ. So what is it you think about, do, do, does, do guys like that, like you, and, and do you guys just have a unique uh, gift and anointing, if you will? Or what is it about the, the big gathering that uh, seems to lead to such a unique move of God, do you think? You know, there's a lot that goes into it. I would just say that it's just all God. It's God's work. I think if God is calling people to this, 
and he is stirring a vision for a project like this, it's, it's no small undertaking. People look at this and they go, oh, that must just be fun. They don't realize the kind of spiritual warfare and uh, overwhelming amounts of work that have gone into what has taken place and how many years it's taken to get there. Yeah, uh, We just did our Wheaton conference at Wheaton College. Yep. and It was really uh, 11 years of prayer leading up to it and three years of a lot of hard work yeah. logistically to get there. And that's that was a small gathering, you know, with, with thousands of people online, but really with only about 500 people on site, uh, with these projects that, uh, you know, Greg Laurie's working on. He's actually working on a Harvest America this fall. It's going to be at AT&T stadium, the Dallas Cowboys stadium. Wow. That seats, you know, anywhere between 80 and a hundred thousand people. Yeah. And, uh, it's just this massive endeavor and they just wrote this incredible article, uh, the, executive director of Harvest America, John Collins on their site that was just, just stirred me, man, just got me excited uh, about Revival Our Nation. And what they've done is they've actually been simulcasting the outreach now the last four years through Harvest America. And so people can do it uh, in their homes, they can do it uh, at their church and basically uh, gather people to hear the, the artists and to hear the message of the gospel that Pastor Greg shares. And uh, and you probably know this, Pastor Greg Laurie. He's actually even a pastor himself down in totally. Southern California. So I don't hear, I don't even know how he's balancing these. No you know, idea. Good team. Ministries a good that team. He's doing an amazing team. I've been yeah. loving connecting with so many yeah. of those guys. So so you just mentioned the Wheaton Conference. Um, I I would just tell us a little bit more about that. I know that kind of the format was unique, sort of TED style. You had a ton of speed. It was only like two days, but you had like a hundred speakers. <laughs> so, so tell me a little bit about, i you know, I, I know that you guys were trending online over the weekend. So it clearly it was a successful event, but what was your vision for it? Is it something you're going to keep doing? Tell me a little bit about your heart behind that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so about 11 years ago, as I mentioned, I sensed just a, a desire and a calling from God to hold something like what we did this weekend with the Wheaton Conference in Chicago. That was kind of the two distinct things, impressions that I felt in my heart as I was in prayer, uh, to hold uh, an evangelistic gathering of evangelistic leaders and to do it in Chicago. Now, I didn't plan towards it all these years, but some great connections happened a few years ago at a Lausanne Movement Young Leaders Gathering in Madison, Wisconsin, near the university headquarters. And I started to uh, make some connections at Wheaton, uh, and join some of their advisory teams for the Billy Graham Center there. And uh, so then I uh, started, you know, we started working towards some of these details and things started moving basically, I think providentially in God's timing. And uh, so what it was, was we had about 23, not a hundred, but 23 was a lot. It's a lot in two <laughs> days. Evangelistic leaders um, and Will Graham, uh, Billy Graham's grandson, Franklin's eldest son, he's the vice president of the Billy Graham Association was with us. Um, and we ended up having also Dr. Ronnie Floyd, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Okay. And uh, I don't know if you've connected with some of his stuff, but he is amazing. Okay. Uh, he is uh, calling the denomination, which is the largest U.S. Protestant denomination, to a call to an extraordinary prayer for spiritual awakening in our nation. And uh, I saw him just a clip of this the other day. He was on Fox News for wow. whatever reason. And he's... And he's just he's just preaching the gospel and calling the nation to revival on Fox News. It's awesome. This is amazing, man. I yeah. think any chance that guy gets, he's going to be calling people to God and calling our generation and our nation to God. And I was just unbelievably encouraged to have him with us. We had uh, John Bloom, the president of Dr. Piper's ministry for the last 20 years. So just this amazing group. And then we had a lot of young leaders that uh, many people might not know as well. That uh, I'm just telling you, Ryan, over the two days, I was just so encouraged and inspired. I was talking with one of my friends who was one of the speakers this morning and we were just sharing our, just, just coming off this conference, our great desire to be used of God in greater ways. Like we want to reach more people with the gospel. We don't want to just sit here and go through our day and go through our schedule and do our work. We we want to be used of God. We want to see people come to Christ in ways that we've never seen before. And we're just so hungry and I felt like it was going to explode during the conference. Yeah. So I, I believe that was all God's work, not mine yeah. or any of the team uh, that helped us uh, put that on. But I just believe that God was doing something, you know, powerful in our midst. And yeah. so it was an encouraging time. We're going to make those videos available online for free oh, over the coming months. Um, we have a team that came over from the UK that's putting those together. And uh, so just, you know, really excited 
hopefully how God will continue to use those messages. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you guys, you in particular and Think Eternity, the ministry that you run and are a part of and founded, you guys have really done an amazing job of utilizing social media and the internet for uh, the furthering of the gospel. <clears throat> and so I think I read that between your personal account and the Think Eternity account and some of the other things that your team has going on, you guys have over 400,000 followers. So I feel like it'd be a swing and a miss for me not to talk to you a little bit about social media. So I got a couple of questions around that. And then I want to talk about the book. The first thing is with social media being used in so many damaging ways and, and having so many unfortunate consequences, um, uh, like how, how, like what opportunity do you see that's caused you to invest so heavily in it? Because you're, you, you don't just have like a lot of people when they get a number of followers, they sort of have a team that churns out content, but I've observed from you that you're very relational. You use it as a true community building device, which most people don't do very well. And so what's the opportunity that you see that has caused you guys to invest so heavily in social media? Yeah, definitely. I, I would just preface it with, you know, I was slow to get into social media. I was the guy in Bible college who didn't have a cell phone yet. Okay. And I would brag about it yeah. and uh, literally didn't have a laptop through college. <laughs> so wow. I would use my girlfriend, now my wife, so I'd go to the computer lab uh, in, in, in Bible college. And it just sounds so hilarious to me now. Yeah. In a total Apple nerd and things. But uh, my one of my older brothers uh, forced me onto my first social media network and I started to use it for blogging okay. and I realized how it could be a tool for ministry right away. And from there, um, you know, kind of became an early adapter with some of the new networks that had came about and primarily Facebook and Twitter are significantly the largest networks of people. Yeah. And the challenge for church leaders is that we don't, you know, all we have to do is look at Google to see that they tried to create a platform with their unlimited resources, with their billions of dollars. And it's not easy. Uh, it's, it's definitely easy to get people to sign up for something, but yeah. to, get, to make it a part of their life, you want to go where the people are. And right yeah. now that's Facebook and Twitter. Now, obviously young people are jumping on things like Instagram and Snapchat. And I'm not as early, I'm not even on Snapchat. I'm not an early adapter on everything. Yeah. But I've picked the largest networks that I've enjoyed the most personally, because you don't need to be on everything you, yeah. you want to be on. And, uh, I've just enjoyed, and I would say providentially God has, has kind of, uh, given me the ability to network on there and to grow. And it's, it's just, it feels like I just work the way Twitter works, for instance, mm -hmm. and, uh, just love the type of people that I connect with on Twitter. And so I've, I've desired to use it as real ministry in the, in the last handful of years, we've narrowed down our ministry focus to events like we were talking about earlier and online ministry. So really we consider that the bulk of what we do is focused on touching people's lives with the gospel online. Okay. And so we've just done that by sharing good content. Now the challenge is that it can be so easy just to become promotional yeah. uh, or just to share uh, content and posts on uh, Facebook and Twitter, for instance, as a church, we just share what we need to share instead of seen as a real opportunity that ministry can be done there. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I would challenge every leader to consider and really every believer who's listening to this podcast to consider how you could use your social media or maybe even one of your platforms for the glory of God and for yes. the sake of the gospel. And so for me, that, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm using it to try to win people to Christ every day on there, although I hope that's happening. Yeah. Um, but I'm sharing good godly content Yeah. that, uh, when I'm sharing it, I'm hoping that it's going to touch the life of someone. And basically I'm just allowing God to speak to me throughout the day through his word in prayer. And I'm sharing that stuff yeah. or, or I'm looking at people like you, Ryan, or other people and I'm sharing great content. Yeah. And so I think one of the best things that anyone can do with their social media is start to try to share better content, yeah. godly content. And I don't really make a, you know, a hidden fact of the fact that I'm a believer sharing this stuff. I just share what's on my heart yeah. and I'd be who I am on social media. And so it's become an opportunity for ministry. Obviously there's more that's gone into it, but I would say content is the first thing. Yeah. And I've learned how to network on there with yeah. fa Facebook ads. You can reach, uh, you know, believers or non-believers within five miles or 10 miles of your church yeah. with very little money. Uh, and you can make a huge splash and a big impact with Twitter. You can connect with like-minded people. And so I've been doing that for really consistently, diligently, and faithfully for the last seven, eight years. Okay. And that's so was that I'd, the recipe to my second question was how the heck did you get 400,000 followers? 
So yeah. do you feel like it's just been the faith, faithful creation of quality content? And then, and I would like the thing I would add that's so, so important, I think, and so overlooked right now is that it's called social media because it's supposed to be social. Brilliant. And that when you only churn out content and use it as a, and this has been a huge learning for me over the last year, if you just use it as a content distribution device, you're really limiting the impact of growth because it's meant to be social and a place to build at least an expression of community. And I've read a lot of, Gary Vaynerchuk over the last couple of years, who's or the last year who's not a Christian, but is brilliant on the mm. social end. And so is it those two things that just over the course of time, content creation, and then building community, that's kind of been the key to building that platform? I would say those two things with Facebook, it's typically Facebook ads is okay. really a significant way to build. Um, if you're going to do a page, a church page or a personal uh, minister or author page. Um, so that's, that's a key with Facebook. Uh, with Twitter, it's following new people. Okay. And uh, so you will get those periodic examples that someone goes viral and all of a sudden they have 100,000 followers yeah. on Twitter. Uh, like Jefferson Bethke's video, yeah. Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. Yeah. Uh, you know, he just got tons of followers from that time. But I would say even uh, artists like Lecrae, now I don't know if this for a fact, but I would guess that uh, even artists like Lecrae or Carrie Job or different people out there, that they're spending a lot of money on ads to build and grow because they believe in the value of what's happening on social. And, and the, here's, here's really the core of what's happening on social. As a, I'll speak for, as a marketer for a yeah. second, as well as a, as a minister, is that uh, what uh, Seth Godin wrote about years ago was called permission marketing. And he said that the number one thing that marketers want to get all the different brands in the, in our country and across the world is freedom and permission to advertise to you for free. Yeah. And so they'll spend money so that they can get your email or your address. You know, we want people to be subscribing to this podcast and sharing it with their friends mm-hmm. uh, or uh, whatever. And so nowadays it's become so much easier than it's ever been in the history of humanity to have people who are subscribing to what you're going to share with them about Christ by clicking a simple like or a simple follow button on your website yeah, or by you following them, they are interested in what you do and they follow you back. And so uh, there's just this huge opportunity. And I would say that, that when you look at large networks, it was a lot of hard work and you can learn to do that too. And uh, there's tons of resources out there where you can learn about this stuff, but uh, to do it gracefully and God in a godly way, hopefully uh, relationally and to mm-hmm. connect with people to make a bigger impact on your social yeah. media. And so for me, it's been a lot of work of following and connecting uh, over the years and faithfully doing that. And that's what's kind of led to where I'm at today. All right, friends, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I need your help. If we're going to make this as easy as possible for people to find, then we have to increase our visibility on iTunes. So do me a favor. If you're enjoying this episode, take 60 seconds, log on to iTunes and leave a short review. It's that easy. It's such a small price to pay for this great content. Every review makes a huge difference. So keep spreading the word and thanks for your support. Now back to the conversation. Well, can you share a little bit about, because there's, there are some pitfalls um, in, in the whole thing, just, just as it pertains to a person's own heart, you know, there's a, I've, there seems to be this divide within evangelicalism. Half, half the camp says that the desire to build a platform is like inherently sinful and we should have nothing to do with it. And then the other half is, you know, saying you should build a platform. So you have one, uh, on social media. What, what have been some important things for you by way of guarding your own heart in the midst of, you know, building, building that something that is, you know, is a promotion of the gospel, but through your, who you are as a person, mm-hmm. how have you guarded your heart against like only being focused on how many retweets you get or how many followers you pick up? You have any like practical things for you that have been really important? Yeah, it's a great question, Ryan. I mean, it's a challenge, I believe for every human, uh, yeah. you know, whether you're a Christian or not to really be self-focused when you're on social media. Uh, or to get caught up in the numbers. And, um, you know, there's definitely, none of us are exempt from that. Yeah. Now that said, we, we do have a, not, not, not that everyone should build their social media or that everyone should really focus on this or, or, and I really don't think everyone should just let it magically happen either. I think that God has called us to hard work and like we do to build a church. Yep. And this is, this, is my, this is my theory on social media that I really want to get across, that 
just like we go to build a church or we go to build an evangelistic event to get people there, we can do that same effort with social media and make it about God and not about us. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously with my personal social media, I'm sharing my personal life as well. Yeah. And, but I'm also sharing the, the reason I have it. The literal reason I have it is about, is about Christ, is about ministry, is about fulfilling my calling. And so we need to be careful of the pitfalls but I also think there's a point where we need to get past that for the sake of the gospel yeah, and for the glory of God. And so, you know, trying to do it in non-spammy ways, obviously, yeah. uh, avoiding those pitfalls, but, but move forward and uh, advance the kingdom through social media. I think that it would be a shame for us just to stop and say, well, we're all evil people. We all need the gospel, so we're not going to try. No, I don't think that's what God wants from us. So right. there's a balance there. Now, there could be a time where I had a friend who told me recently, he had 55,000 followers on Twitter, and he'd get tons and tons of retweets, and he said he had to give it up hmm. because he just felt that it had become too much for him. And so he started over, and he has like 5,000 now. Only yeah. 5,000, Only right? 5,000, yeah. <laughs> and he still kept that other one, but he's just going to use it for ministry. And I was really encouraged by that because there could be a time for all of us where we do need to lay it down. But ultimately, yeah, good. let's build something for the glory of God. Let's not just waste our lives. Yeah, that's good. I like that. All right, let's shift a little bit. I want to talk about your new book, Awakening. <clears throat> I know that its message is very close to your heart. Your passion comes through in your writing for sure. So tell me a little bit about why you wrote this book. Yep, definitely, Ryan. I for the last probably five years have been just making notes and, uh, you know, writing down stories that had struck my heart. And this book really is a compilation compilation of stuff I've been sharing, uh, in churches across the country for many years and different denominations. And that's that, uh, I believe that when we hear about the great things God's doing around the world today, not just through history, but right now mm-hmm. in different parts of the world, that it inspires our faith like nothing else can. And so that's that was my goal setting forward was that God is really moving around the world in astonishing ways. And I, I even go so far in the book not to, to belittle what's happening with some of the people in the past, but to say that I think like if George Whitfield was here today, he would be amazed at what God's doing some, at some of the churches, not only in other parts of the world, but in America. Yeah, I think he'd be encouraged. Yeah. I think his heart would be stirred. And I, I say that having my first book that I ever wrote was called Revolutionaries and it was on church history. Okay. And I read a hundred church history books to write that. Okay. And so I say that as kind of a church history nerd, not necessarily that I'm an expert, but I love it. And I believe that God is moving today. And so often, like we talked about earlier in the podcast, as leaders and as believers, we're focused on the negative. When we talk about what's wrong with the church and what's wrong with the culture, but I believe that when we obey what the scripture says to think about things that are lovely and noble and pure and of good report that when we lift up the good news and not just are known for bad news, that the gospel will go forward. And so I think in our churches, not that we avoid talking about the negative things because the Bible doesn't do that either. Paul addresses the problems in the church. But when we talk about what the scripture says, the gospel is growing and bear fruit, bearing fruit all over the world, yeah. that that inspires people. And really it's down to a sociological, like psychological level that, uh, when the news shares some terrible story, a lot, a lot of times that leads to more news. Yeah. That leads to like people kind of, they hear about things and they go and do them. Yeah. And so when we lift up the good of what God is doing in the church, we all know, like if, if, I mean, there's probably people listening today, you've read a missionary biography and it's inspired you like nothing else you've ever read. Sure. And so when we lift the good stories and the good reports and the, the things that God's done in other people's lives, and we put that in front of people, that can stir more of that. Yeah. And so we start getting a new vision for our community, a new vision for our church. And you're probably a product of this too, the way that Acts 29 Network has impacted your church and your leadership. We've, we see it all the time, but we just don't talk about it enough. Yeah, so. I agree with that. I think there is, a, and I, I, I would confess to part of this, that there's there's a... I think a healthy skepticism sometimes with some, um, <clears throat> I guess what I'm trying to get as I, I want to understand how you would define awakening, like what that is, because I, I know even just the little limited amount about you that I know, I know that you don't adhere to that just size alone equals success. Just because something's big means that an awakening has taken place. There are, uh, some good examples that we could point to of, of huge, you know, 
churches that are preaching a false gospel and that yep. are not being faithful to the word. So when you, I mean, you titled the book Awakening. So when you are thinking about and looking for these stories of awakening, kind of what criteria are you thinking in? What are the marks of an awakening? <laughs> yeah. it's Plus it's, I'm getting ready to do a series called Awakening. So if oh. you could help me write that, that'd be super helpful. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great question. It's a great question. You know, it is, it is we do have to be careful of listing it uh, in man's eyes, you yeah. know, if it's big enough or, or, and, and actually that's something I was going for because people talk about catalyst conference, you know, or they talk about maybe the global leadership conference, which are unbelievable gatherings. Yeah. You know, they impact so many people, but so often we don't know about so many of the movements God's doing around the world, big or small. And, and we just focus on the one or two that we know. And so I wanted to get people thinking about more things. I did also, though, want to get them thinking about stuff interdenominationally. Like, so often we get stuck in our, kind of our tunnel or our bubble, our church bubble. And I feel like if we just moved out into some of the other things and saw what God was doing, we'd be encouraged instead of just writing it off right away because it wasn't exactly like us. Now, that said... I wrote about stuff that sticks to the core of the gospel. You know, yeah. I didn't want to write about any, I totally agree with you that there is big movements that are heretical, mm-hmm. uh, but I think we need to be less focused on those and more focused on the good movements. Yeah. If that makes sense. I yeah. think we need to, you know, what do people know us for? Do they know us for kind of being the Debbie Downer who always yeah. has the bad news? Yeah. Or are we people full of the good news? Are we people full of the Holy spirit, which is, we should be people full of a whole lot of love, a whole lot of joy whole lot of kindness and gentleness. Are we known for that? And so that's something that is just burning in my heart in the last few years, even as someone who's raised in church, that I'm longing that God would make me that kind of a man and that I would lead people to that kind of a place. Yeah. Uh, now that's something that only the spirit can do in us, but we need to be obviously praying for it and, and asking God to do it in us. And so just, you know, just like any area of holiness in our lives. And so, you know, I did write about a real mix of movements and yeah. if you're stuck in one line of the church and everyone else is wrong. You're, you might not like it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? no, but so I, I learned I'm, about a lot of movements. I'm uh, super supportive of that. I mean, I've said this on multiple episodes, but a, a huge uh, motivator for in the room is I want to talk to a diverse group of people, not, not people who are all a part of the same camp and the same tribe and all think the same way. I think we have something to learn from everyone. So I, I really appreciate, you know, that sort of cross denominational, you know, we'll disagree on some secondary issues, but are committed to unity around the essentials. And I think that you were faithful in that for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ryan. So, and one of the things I said in there was just that, you know, it's kind of discouraging that, that a pastor would share quotes from like Mark Twain or Gandhi, but not share a quote from a pastor down the street that believes a little bit differently than them. So, I mean, we really, we need to understand that unity is the heart of God. When I read those a hundred church history books leading up to revolutionaries, I saw a consistent theme that, that people God was using called the church to be one so often. Now there was a really big range of the types of people that they were. Some people went to did ministry with families. Someone renounced their families in church history. (laughs) You know, there's like, there was a lot of different type of people, but there was such an emphasis on calling the church to be one. Now I don't believe that means we need to all become one denomination. Yeah. You know, as a, as a professor in Bible college said that there's many flavors of ice cream for people to find the gospel. Yep. And, uh, and some people like this, some people like that. So I, I love the diversity of the body of Christ. What I think we need to do is honor each other. Yeah. I think we need to lift up and get excited about what God's doing in places other than ourselves. And we need to get inspired by what God's doing in places other than our own communities so that he can maybe do more in and through us. Yeah. yeah. I think humility is the key to diversity without division. And, um, uh, there just is a severe lack of humility in in my own, I mean, in my own heart and life and in the church today. And it, I mean, I just, the, the last year, especially, it seems like it's kind of come to even a greater head, but there is just, so it seems like there's some prominent evangelical leader on the chopping block every other week. Mm. And, uh, you can just watch it across blogs, across social media. You know, you're just, like we're just making our way down the line. Um, you know, we put people up on a pedestal, can't wait to watch them fall. And uh, it's, it's really, it's unfortunate the way that it happens. And, so. and, that, and that has been one of the big pitfalls and discouragements of social media is that we need to be careful what we're known for as believers. Yeah. We, we definitely should be speaking the truth. Yes. 
But the answer to the world is not for us to speak the truth louder and yell at everybody. You know, you think about a parent of, uh, with kids, if he just yells at his kids and tells them the truth all the time, they're not going to like him very much. Right. You know, then I'm thinking with my new son, yeah, my wife and I just had Caden, they're not going to like him very much. Right. Uh, and, and it's going to disconnect them. And, and so that, that father is going to no longer have influence with their child. If all they're ever doing is speaking truth loudly. Yeah. Sure. Uh, that's why the scripture tells us to always speak truth with love. Yeah. And the Bible says in first Corinthians that we should do everything with love. Yeah. Now this is, you know, we're sinful people, but by God's grace, we need to walk in the love of Christ. We need to ask God's love to be poured into our hearts so that when we're sharing truth, we're doing it graciously. And we need to just take social media as an opportunity to share the goodness and the love of God, not beat people up all the time. So we need to be a part of the solution, not yeah. the problem. Yeah. I mean, it's, that is a real challenge is that Christians potentially could become be known as jerks because yeah. people are seeing so much of that. So we need to speak against that and say, Hey, you know, there's a time to stand up and to speak truth, but we need to always do it with love. Yeah, totally. Tone is just as important as truth. And, yeah. um, we have to do that better. So, so you've, good. you've talked about, uh, statistics and you've talked about negativity and, uh, <clears throat> kind of the way that we frame these statistics, the way that we frame what's wrong and focus on that. And, and you've really pushed toward, and the whole point of your book really is to push away from those things and to the positive, where are the good, where are the places that God's at work? But one question I have is like, how do we highlight well without slipping into, you know, Debbie Downer negativity? How do we highlight well, what is in order to create urgency um, without doing so in such a way that applies like God has abandoned us. Cause I, I know that for one, one thing that if you're going to be a vision caster, which every, everybody has some amount of vision that they have to cast in their life, but an effective way to cast vision is to show what is, and then the, and then be able to show the vision for what could be and what should be. So how do we talk about what is some of the unforming work? 4,000 churches a year close, man, that's a problem. Yep. How do we talk about those things in such a way that highlights what is um, in it that, but that don't paint this picture that like God's abandoned us and he isn't at work. Yep. Well, yeah. Love that question. I mean, another example is there's articles that are headlined like millennials or young people are leaving the church in droves, you totally. know, uh, and you don't have to Google far to find a bunch of these articles right. from a lot of major news sources, from a lot of Christian sources, as well as secular ones that, uh, that, that is happening. What they, that, Typically by age 30, when they start to have kids, most of those are coming back. Right. Um, so there's, you, you just have to be careful with wielding statistics. Now, in our generation, this is the largest and most unreached generation in history. Yeah. And millennial generation literally just became the largest generation this year. Yeah. And so you can look at that and just feel terrible. Or you could think about the fact that if you got to look at all sides of it, you could think about the fact that, uh, that this is literally like one of the most evangelized uh, generations also in world history. Yeah. And that America has more Christians than any other nation still currently, although that's declining, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that still a huge number claim faith in God, even if they're not attending church clearly. And there's still amazing things that have taken place in our nation. And we also can't look back at the beginning of our nation and say that we've been such an incredible moral country. Definitely not. You know, there's, you know, there, it's great to hear about the the gospel in American history, but we do know that, like, like I was talking with my wife's uh, my wife's uh, grandpa recently, and he was saying that, and he's pretty old; he's in his nineties. Yeah, and that, uh, and this isn't the pastor; this is on the other side, her mom's uh, dad. Okay, and he was saying that uh, his uh, was it uh, grandfather was alive in the eighteen fifties. Uh-huh. They must have all lived real long. Yeah, and. And I'm, and I started to put, that's in the time of like Abraham Lincoln in the civil war when Americans were killing each other, like across state lines, like in a sense, we've come so far now we still have great challenges and and we need God to move in our nation again. You know, American history has had amazing awakenings of faith that most Christians don't know about where literally millions of people who didn't go to church started passionate followers of Christ in a few year period across the nation, it was something only God can do. We need that to happen again. Yeah. We do. 
but but there is great things happening. And you know of great stories of pastors and leaders and godly churches and godly movements that are happening around the nation as well. There's amazing things. And so you got to kind of carry them both. Yeah. Uh, you cast the vision. Obviously, we can look into our communities. We could say there is thousands upon thousands of people that need to know the gospel. And it's easy to paint a vision there that we need to reach those people with the gospel, that we need to, to be the people of God in our communities. But that said, there's great things too. So sure, yeah. the main thing is to not get so focused on the negative that, you know, people are just discouraged about the state of their yeah. faith. And <laughs> they, I think, they, I think having people, helping people filter what's wrong and what's bad as opportunity is really important. Not, not just like, you know, hopefully Jesus comes back soon because this whole thing's a mess and it's not getting any better, but we yeah. have opportunity in that. Yeah. And, uh, but I did have a question. Like, what do you, what do you think as you look at the church in the West, what are some things that you think are holding the church back from experiencing awakening that might be happening elsewhere around the world? Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, I share in the in awakening that there is great things happening in America too, but clearly in the global South, as you, you know, as you hear stories, as you read books there, God is moving around the world in ways that Americans would be surprised by as well. And, uh, you know, there's a lot that they can offer us. Yep. One of the things that's probably happening more now than ever is that in our kind of our new global economy and our new global connections with, with the internet and social media, which we have to remember has only been around for like 20 years, right? you know, uh, less than 20 years and social media only for like less than 10. And so we kind of have this opportunity to connect with each other. And only in the last 60 years have we been able to really fly anywhere in the world in 24 mm-hmm. hours. And so we have the opportunity to learn from believers in other parts of the world like we never have before. Lausanne movement's doing that really well, and there's other movements that are as well. Uh, it, they're connecting global Christian leaders with each other so that we can grow and learn from each other. Um, I think that in many other parts of the world where Christianity is growing, it probably boils down to one quote that I shared from my book this morning on my social media, and that's that most awakenings through church history, all awakenings through church history, uh, were a result of returning to the basic teachings of the Bible. You look at these nations where the gospel is moving forward in ways that are amazing, and so often it's from their practical trust in the scripture. Um, you see God moving in the life of congregation in another part of the world or here in America. It's from a, it's a faith and a belief in the scripture and what it has to tell us today. And uh, so that's a big one. Um, you know, something that you see from a lot of other nations is you don't, you know, you don't need a lot of things to be happy. Sure. You know, uh, that, that joy isn't a result of from the abundance of our possessions. Um, man, there's just so many things that, that, that we can learn people all around the world. Well, I want to, uh, I think a a good question to end on is, uh, is this, I think there's probably some Christians in general, pastors in particular, uh, listening or, uh, who will read your book and read these amazing stories and think, you know what, that's great for them, but God's not doing anything like that in my church. Uh, and so, uh, I, I think that what you mean for encouragement could, the enemy could use to discourage some people. And so how would you encourage Christians and pastors who just feel like they're slogging away, but they're not seeing anything resembling awakening? How would you encourage them? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, looking at this, uh, there's really two responses when you see God moving, Yeah, you know, or when you see someone experiencing something that you haven't experienced before. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, we, it's so easy to be jealous yeah. and be like, oh man, I wish it was easy for me here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or I wish I had some stories like that. Uh, or we can honor what's happening. Yeah. Uh, we can approach it with humility and just be excited because we have to remember we're on the same team. What's happening over there isn't a win for them. It's a win for us. Yeah, that's good. It's a win for me, for you and everyone listening when God is moving in some part of the world because it's his kingdom, not our kingdom. That's and it's good. about his kingdom, not our kingdom. So it's a challenge, but you know, I've encountered a lot of great leaders in the last few years who are great at honoring what God is doing in other places. And that's something that we should strive for is to be excited about God moving in other places, to be excited to share someone else's social media post uh, or what God's doing with them and not just our own selves. And yeah. so it almost becomes easy. And maybe, I don't, I don't know that it's more of an American thing, but maybe it's easier in America to become self-focused. 
But get excited about what God's doing in other places. Contend for that in your own community, yeah. you know? Let it stir you. When my grandfather was passing a church for 43 years, it started in the basement of a home. And, you know, today it's about 5,000 people on a weekend. What's been the coolest part of his story is that that happened over 43 years. That's right. That didn't happen in two. It wasn't the fastest growing. It probably never made the fastest growing in America church list. And who really cares? The nature of that list is that no one gets, you know, hardly anyone gets on it. Right. Except the same few people year after year. And it's awesome for them. But uh, to be excited, I guess, in the midst of the ordinary and the mundane that God is moving more than you think, I guess, would be another uh, hope that I would have in uh, people reading Awakening is that they would see, like, God is always doing more than I realize in my church and in my community. And there's awakenings happening that I just don't know about yet. And I pray that God will bring testimonies to my eyes that I could see what he's doing through this work. Um, I came from a church that had probably slowly declined over time, uh, over 20 years. Uh, and it only had about, a, it's the average church in America size, which is about 120 people. Yep. But literally like the 12 students in our youth group are all doing ministry around the world today. It's awesome. And so, uh, there's just this sense that God can do whatever he wants. We can't judge success by our human eyes, but really success, truly what truly fulfills our souls as leaders and as believers is obedience to the call of God on our lives. That's what fulfills like nothing else can. It's not great ministry or huge ministry or always being the Catalyst Conference speaker, but it's being faithful and obedient to the call of God. And so maybe in the midst of that faithfulness, people will see through this book that God is actually doing more than they realize. And that would be my hope too, that it wouldn't just be so focused on big numbers or big things, but let's believe for more people to come to Christ too. You know, That's in the good, yeah. So. Well, Matt, I'm thankful for you and for your ministry. Uh, thanks for the conversation. The book is Awakening. Link will be in the show notes, so make sure that you check that out. But thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Such a joy, Ryan. Appreciate you so much, buddy. I've been friends with Matt on Twitter for a while now, and I think the most important thing to be learned from him is to use social media platforms to be just that, social. They're not meant to just to be content distribution platforms. Uh, They're meant to cultivate conversations. So if you're on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or any other social media platform, use them as an opportunity to love and serve and engage those whom you interact with. That's it for this episode, but don't forget you can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at at Ryan Hughley, and also on my blog at ryanhughley.com. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. We'll be back in two days with episode number 18 in my conversation with Elliot Grudem. He's the lead pastor for leadership development and church planting at Vintage Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. And in our conversation, we're discussing raising kids in a ministry home. Until then, it's an honor to learn with you. I love you and thanks for listening.